Uh, we are working through 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 3, and we'll jump straight into the last few verses, 14 and 15, and it reads this, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is the point of Timothy's letter. Sorry, Paul's letter. I'm on fire today. This is the point of 1 Timothy. Paul is writing this letter to his young disciple. With the purpose, Timothy, this is how you do church. This is how you conduct yourself in church. So week one, we talked about the importance of truth. The importance of truth and true doctrine. Last week, we talked about the importance of God's heart. Of, uh, and, and God's desire for the people and how to conduct ourselves in public worship. And today in chapter 3, Paul addresses another very important topic of church leadership. Very important topic for us all, church leadership. The leader in any organization is single-handedly the most important person in that organization. Organizations live and die based on who that leader is and whether that leader is healthy or unhealthy, is good or bad, or good or evil. We've seen cases where leaders have led groups and organizations through really tough times, times of crisis and chaos, and organizations have come out stronger. Uh, To give an example, I want to shout out to Gladys and the New South Wales government, I think they have done an amazing job um, in helping our states um, navigate through this pandemic. We haven't had a case in four weeks. And so I applaud, I applaud Gladys and her um, government in their leadership because our state is now stronger than it's ever been. But sadly, the flip side of the coin is completely true as well. We have seen organizations completely crumble because of bad leadership or poor leadership. Now, this is the same with the church. Uh, Yes, the beauty of the church, however, is that God is the ultimate leader. You know, we can fall back on that. But God still wants the church to appoint good and healthy leaders that will honor him, represent him, and honor his people. Sadly, we have seen more in recent times. We have read articles and and heard of church leaders in public and prominent um, uh, positions uh, fail, morally fail. Um, And and that has led to the destruction of their organization and church. And that's super sad. But God wants the church to appoint good and healthy leaders so that the church can be good and healthy in itself. Paul identifies two leadership positions in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the elder and the deacon. And he begins this chapter with verse 1, and he says this, Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. What Paul is saying is leadership is a good thing. Leadership in itself is a good thing. It is a a noble task. Someone who wants to be a leader in the church aspires 
and desires a noble task. See, sometimes, sometimes we see leadership as being burdensome. Sometimes we see the failures of these church leaders and we think to ourselves, well, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And sometimes we, we, we would even discourage people to be a leader in the church. But God is saying through Paul, no, whoever aspires to be an overseer or to be an elder desires a noble task. To be a leader is a good thing. Now, an elder is an overseer who oversees the church. The equivalent within our church context of an elder is our board. And we have three members on our board. Uh, four, sorry, we have four members on our board. Um, David Ahn, um, Anthony Song, and KJ Jang, and myself. The role of the board and the role of the elder is to have an oversight over the whole church. It's to know the people, the ministries, the surrounding church, and they are to have um, a big picture understanding of where the church is and where the church needs to go. Now, Paul is going to give Timothy a whole bunch of qualifications. Before we start to crucify our board members, um, it's really important to know that this is God's, God's list, okay? Don't put your list in there, okay? You need to separate this. See, one of the things that happens in church is this. We look at leadership and we start putting on burdens on our leaders. We start thinking about qualifications that our leaders should have and not what God wants. And so I'm going to read this bit and then we'll go and we'll um, break down the qualifications of an elder or an overseer to begin with. Here we go, verse 2. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. These are the qualifications that Paul gives to Timothy for the role of elder. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul describes four categories of qualifications that an overseer must have. Number one, personal character. Paul begins this list of qualifications with personal character, who that person is. Actually, more than half of the qualifications that Paul gives is about who that person is inside rather than what they can do. Right? Now, this is where leadership in the church and leadership in the world starts to differentiate. Because in the world, leadership is all about the good people, the smart people, the popular people, people that can achieve, people who are successful, and it's got nothing to do with their personality or their character. It's all about results. And yet Paul 
doesn't start with results. He starts with character. The leader is to be what? Above reproach. Reproach, above to be above reproach means to be blameless, to be without criticism. Temperate, being able to show self-constraint, self-controlled, to be someone who is not out of control or uncontrolled. Not given to drunkenness. Let me just quietly pause there. Um, someone that's sober, right? Not quarrelsome. We need a seeker of peace, not a lover of money, not tempted by the things of this world, not a recent convert, someone that has proved the test of time. These are the qualifications of an overseer, right? Personal character. None of these have to do with the output in their ministries nor their skills. Paul shows us that integrity, who that person is, who that person says that they are, is what is important. So number one, personal character. Number two, talks about family life. Verse two says, faithful to his wife. Verse four, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Why does Paul bring up family life? You know why? Because that's real life. I grew up in a Korean church and not to have a dig at the Korean church but I grew up in a Korean church, so it's the only one I can really compare. And one of the biggest, uh, saddest things about some of the churches that I grew up in is that you see these overseers and even pastors at church who they are and at home who they are are completely different. It's one of the saddest things to hear. I've talked to many children of elders and overseers and the best one was, Dad, you're such a liar. You know, at church, you're so patient and you're so willing to serve. And at home, you don't help mom. You're always yelling. You're always angry. Family life is real life. I think that's why Paul puts it in there. Because who you are at home, that's real you. I know for most of us, we come to church, as soon as you turn the corner, you know, Victoria Avenue, you go... You know, you put the Black Panther mask on, whoo, church face, whoo. you know, your life's like crumbling, you know, your family sucks, your children are, you know, are crabby, you know, you just had the worst week in the world and you turn the corner as you walk up the stairs, you're like, hello, holy art thou brother, you know, I know we're so good at that, right? which is hopefully not, that, not something that we do, but you know, hopefully something that we can go over. But the problem is with the overseers and the elders, Paul's saying, you've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistent. Literally, he says, how can you manage the church if you can't even manage your household? Good call. Number three, Paul mentions ability. It's, and, and you know what? Paul's only going to mention one ability in this. Out of all the qualifications to be an overseer, it's the ability to what? Teach and handle the word of God. An overseer must be able to teach and handle the word of God. Why? 
Why is it so important for an overseer to be able to teach and handle the word of God? It's because essentially this is where the authority of the position of overseer comes from. When overseers lead, they lead out of an authority that has been given to them through God's word. And so if they can't defend and handle and teach the very thing that gives them the authority, then they can't justify their position. They can't justify why they're an elder, why they should be an elder, why they can ask people to do things and not do things. Because if they can't handle the very thing that they're representing, then they shouldn't be an elder. Ability. Number four, reputation. An overseer must be respectable, hospitable, and have a good reputation with outsiders. Why? Because they represent God. They represent God and they represent the church. They've got to represent the very thing that they're leading. So important. So they're the four things that Paul gives in terms of the the qualifications of an elder. And we're going to use those four things as we now move to Paul's um, address of the qualifications of a deacon. Uh, a deacon, com- deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, that means servant. They are the servants of the church. They're the ones that are heavily involved in doing the ministry. Now, overseas would be involved, but they're more high up, looking at the big picture. The, 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 um, the deacons are the ones getting their hands dirty. In our church equivalent, it would be our ministry leaders and our life group leaders. So... Uh, same qualification uh, categories, a little bit of overlap with overseas, but some are different. So let's go through the four again. Number one, personal character. We read in verse 8, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, pause, and not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, I know I'm having a crack, right? The beauty of that verse, and, and you've got to see the beauty of that, that little phrase, not indulging in much wine means that you can indulge in some wine. Okay? We're not being legalistic here. Okay? For those that like a little bit of beverage, you know, knock yourself. Well, don't knock yourself out. That's the point. <laughs> Just enjoy it before you get knocked out. Once again, Paul starts with personal character. You want to be a leader? You want to be a a servant leader? It's not about what you can do. It's about who you are. It's about your character. And so Paul begins with personal character again. Number two, he goes to ability, verse 9 and 10. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as Deacons. Now, this is one of the things that is different between an overseer and a deacon. A deacon doesn't need to be able to teach and and, and handle the word of God, but they must keep hold of the deep truth of the faith in their heart. They must be people who have deep faith that really believe in what they believe in. But they also must be tested. Paul doesn't give us any specific skill set, but tells Timothy, you've got to give them some time to be tested. One of the beauties about our church is most of our ministry leaders have been serving 
uh, or have been at our church for nearly the whole time, if not been serving much longer uh, with myself over years. I've been serving with some of these guys for, for 15 years now. That's what it means to be tested. I've seen them in the pressure cooker situation. I've seen them, what it means when they receive criticism or when they receive feedback. What Paul's saying is don't put anyone in leadership that you, can't have already, you haven't already tested out. They've got to be tested. Why? Because leadership's important. You put one bad leader in an organization, it can smash your organization. So they've got to be tested. You've got to give them time. Number three, reputation, verse 11. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Paul addresses the women uh, and tells them from an outsider's perspective, they should be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers. What's a malicious talker? Is someone who has the ability to talk crap about people. A malicious talker isn't just gossip. It's, it's talk that cuts other people down. Intentional talk. But we're called not to do that. And we're called to be seen as trustworthy. And finally, in verse 12, we go back to family. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Once again, the importance of the leader's family comes into account. Why? Because family is where you are real. Leadership is more about who we are rather than what we do. Godly leadership, leadership in the church, Yes, skills, giftings, abilities are important, but most importantly, it's personal character. So I think there's three things that we can take home today that we can uh, put into practice uh, for you and I through this passage. Number one, pursue leadership. To lead in God's kingdom is an honor and a privilege. It's a privilege and it's an honor. You know, so many people think that leading in God's church is burdensome, is a struggle, it's a hardship. But God tells us that it is a noble task. It's got nothing to do with recognition. It's got nothing to do with your resume. Even if there is no recognition from people on earth, our Father in heaven knows and He cares. Leaders. Leaders change the world. Leaders make the world a better place. Leaders have influence. Uh, one of my kids, one of my kids, one of my kids has just gate crashed. Security. When um, I, I I pray for our kids before they go to bed, <laughs> and I pray blessing over them. In the back of my mind, I'm praying, Lord, please don't let them wake up till tomorrow morning. <laughs> You know, let me get some sleep tonight. But one of the things I used to do, actually I haven't done it for a while, I haven't done it for a while, Chris, is um, I used to get them to repeat certain statements. You remember this? He doesn't remember this. Obviously, my household is not managed at the moment. <laughs> um, you know, you're beautiful on the inside and the outside. 
You don't remember that? Maybe. Maybe that one was for Anna. What did I say about leadership? Oh. We're going to, we're having a family meeting tonight. (laughs) You are completely undermining God's authority on the pulpit right now. I'm going to say, and he's going to go, oh, yeah. I say, you're not a follower. You're a leader. All right, you're at your detention. That's it. (laughs) Taking care of my household tonight. Don't trust him. He's a teenager. One of the things I used to say, right, I used to tell my kids, and I, I used to get them to repeat it, you're not a follower. You're a leader. You know, I want my kids to grow up knowing that they can lead. Now, they don't all have to be prime minister. You know, they don't all have to be CEO. But I want them to know that they can be a person of influence in this world. Leaders have influence. Jesus calls each and every one of us to have influence. That's why he says, be the salt, be the light. The best way to do that is through leadership. Be a leader in the church. Be a leader in your family. Be a leader in your workplace. Be a leader in your school. Put yourself in a place of influence so that you can influence this world for God. Leadership is the opportunity that God gives to us to make a difference. So pursue it. So when I come up to you, I say, hey, would you like to join this ministry leadership team? Don't go, oh, I don't know, I've got so much on my plate. You should be like, wow, I feel like I've just won the lotto. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, we have so much fun in our leaders' meetings. Albert even said last leaders' meeting, he even said that it was the most fun meeting that he's had in a very long time. True story. Pursue leadership. If it's offered to you, pursue it. Number two, character first. God is more concerned about your character than your output. This is the clear-cut difference between the world and the church. The world does not care about your character. They don't care if you're a good guy, bad guy. They don't care if you're a nice person or a a nasty person. As long as you get the results, show me the money. You know, that's the world we live in. They don't care. They don't care if you you step on four people to get to where you want to go. Because their bottom line is money. Their bottom line is their own company. But God is not. God is more concerned about who you are rather than what you do. God is more concerned about the type of leader that you will become rather than what you can achieve. God God wants leaders with character and values, not ones that will sell out. And achieve their goals at the cost of everything and everyone around them. If you want to be used by God in leadership, if you want to pursue leadership, work on your character rather than your skills. Because that's what God desires. And thirdly, choose wisely. Now, 
I say this to the whole church because there are times in the church where we as a church have to collectively choose and elect our leaders. So choose wisely. Don't choose like the rest of the world. Don't choose, you know, who the world would choose based on outward appearance, based on specs. But choose leaders that God would choose. Choose leaders that have the qualities that God would want in a leader. Leaders with character. Leaders with consistency. Leaders with integrity. Don't just pick the richest, the smartest, the most popular men and women to lead. But choose who God would choose. Choose people that will love God more than they love life. Friends, leadership, it can make and break any organization. And in the same way, it can make and break church. And I don't say the church. Because as I said, the beauty of us is we have one leader, and that is God our Father. Unlike every leader in the world, he is perfect. His foresight is perfect. Why? Because he made it. His creation is perfect because he made it. Because he is perfect. And so even though we have flawed and sinful leaders in the church that may lead to churches going up and down on the whole. Our ultimate leader, God, will make sure that the church will be okay. But God still wants to empower the churches with worldly human leaders. So we want to do a few things tonight um, to honour that. Um, a little bit different to what was on schedule. Um, I want to spend some time praying for our leaders. I don't like. I know some of you got. You don't even know who our leaders are. That's that's like going to work and not even knowing who your boss is. You're just working. You don't know who's making decisions for your company or your organization. But I want to introduce you, if you haven't already been introduced, to some of our leaders. And I want to take some time to pray. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up.